May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Suppose someone gave you a sheet of paper, like this sheet of paper right here, and asked you to fold it 42 times. Now in your mind, just imagine how thick that piece of paper might be. Maybe an inch, maybe a foot, maybe a yard. And I wonder, if you thought about that for just a moment, let's, let's make this a little interactive sermon today, shall we? Um, how many of you, by a, a show of hands, would think maybe a couple inches? You think it might be a couple inches thick, okay? How many think it might be a foot? It might be a foot thick, like a, like a couple stacks of, yeah. How many think maybe the size of a refrigerator? Nobody? Go he's in. We have a refrigerator sale. Um, how many of you think it might be a mile or more? A mile or 40, or what is a mile? 5,260 feet or something? I, I don't know. So, something around that, right? If I told you that if you folded a piece of paper, just this piece of paper right here, 42 times, it would reach from the earth to the moon. 238,000 miles. And if you could fold it eight more times, if you could fold a piece of paper 50 times, it would reach to the sun and back. It seems unthinkable. It's impossible. It's called geometric progression. You know this one probably. It's probably a little more familiar. I think Phil is going to be stuck on the piece of paper. He's going to start folding any minute now. And the rest of the sermon is going to go on. You know this one. If I gave you an offer, offer is a million dollars in your hand right now. Or I would give you a penny right now. And I will double your money for the next 29 days. I wonder who would take the million dollars. Any show of hands? Who wants the penny doubled every day for a next You know, it's amazing if you think about this because by day 20 of a 30-day program where I gave you a penny and doubled your money every day, on day 20 you would have just over $5,000. By the time you got to, uh, to day 25, $167,000, almost $168,000, you're still $800 and some thousand dollars short of the million by day 25. But on day 28, you would have $1.342 million. And by day 30, $5.368 million. A penny a day. Day 20, you only have five grand, but by day 30, over $5 million. The law of geogra- uh, geometric progression, it, it, it boggles the mind. It, it seems impossible that a sheet of paper folded 42 times could reach the moon. It just seems like that's impossible. Is it possible that Cleopatra lived closer to the invention of the iPhone than she did to the construction of the Great Pyramid in Giza? She did. Is it more? Is it likely, or is it possible rather, that you're more likely to be killed by a vending machine than by a shark? <laughs> it is. It's statistic. Is it possible? This is going to get. You're going to. The rest of the day, you're going to be lost on this one. 
that a straw only has one hole. But it does. You see, humans are bright. We're really smart. Um, we, are, um, we are amazingly smart. Uh, collectively, we are brilliant. Collectively, humans are brilliant. When we put our minds together, amazing things happen. Do you know there's only 70 years, only 70 years between the time that humans first took to flight with the Wright brothers and when they put a man on the moon? That boggles the mind. Do you know that, that your phone has something like 100 times the computer capacity that the, that the, the first um, uh, spaceship that landed on the moon, was that Apollo 11, had aboard it? Mind-blowing. We have made sure, the human population, that the entire population of the planet of Mars is only robots. Two of them. <laughs> but there, that's all that's there. Just two robots. I thought that was a great one. Um, and yet, think of all the things we can't explain. We cannot explain how the ancient Egyptians over 5,000 years ago created, made those pyramids. It, it, it just... It, some people think that there wasn't really even a wheel at the time. I'm not sure if that's true. We don't know how or why Stonehenge was created. Physics has yet to, comp, uh, to come up with the math how a, a bicycle works. Mathematically, it hasn't been solved, or no one seems to know why ice is slippery. But it is, and I can attest to that. We've been able to understand so much, and yet there is so much still that we can't get our minds around. We are bright. We are brilliant. But we are finite. We are intelligent, but we are not omniscient. We do not know all things. I was telling some friends last night that I grew up with this guy who was like five years older than me. And he was the smartest person I've ever met in my life. I mean, brilliant. He's the kind of guy who went in in freshman year, I think, uh, geometry was the subject, or maybe, um, maybe it was his eighth grade year, I can't remember. And he thought it was the easiest mathematical um, system he'd ever seen. So he asked for two weeks to, to read the textbook. In two weeks, he had read the textbook, took the final exam, and got an A on it. Um, he graduated three years from high school with a, over a 4.0 GPA. Brilliant. He was burning microprocessors when he was just a teenager before anybody was sort of doing these things. He, he was just mathematically, uh, you know, someone I couldn't even imagine that brilliance. But for all the Einsteins that are among us, we find that even they are finite and limited. Even they don't have minds to comprehend the vastness of this universe. The psalm for today is Psalm 8, one of my favorite in all the Psalter. It begins and ends the same way, with bookends, as, as if to say, keep this in mind. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O God, O Yahweh Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think the psalmist tells the psalm, he, this whole poem of his, is to say, God is incomprehensible. And yet, good. And yet, a God of blessing. Too big to understand, unfathomable, too unfathomable to get one's mind around, too vast to grasp. And you know what? Nowhere do we come to the closeness of that enormity than in the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. 
Today is Trinity Sunday. Every year in the Sunday right after Pentecost Sunday is set aside as, as Trinity Sunday for the church to reflect upon this doctrine that God is one and yet three co-eternal, consubstantial persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In a little bit, we're going to use the Athanasian Creed. We only use it one time a year because it's so long and so full of a very um, uh, difficult vocabulary that you don't want to, to bumble through this on a regular basis. But here's part of what the Athanasian Creed says. The Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and in Trinity unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. So we distinguish without dividing. We recognize the complexity of this doctrine, and yet here's what we also say in the Creed. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. Uh, there's an, an Irish Anglican scholar named Alistair McGrath who, um, who said when he was a child he was in church uh, on Trinity Sunday and he was standing next to an old Irish farmer and, and they were reciting this creed on Trinity Sunday. And he says the Irish farmer was really deaf and sort of hard to hear. He, he, so he spoke loudly, thought he was whispering, thought he was muttering under his breath. But said it loud enough for everybody in the church to hear. And he said the whole darn thing is incomprehensible. Um, but he didn't say darn. And so it was a little bit more uh, you know, gripping at that moment. The whole thing is incomprehensible. And it is. But the church's belief is that we believe in one God. In three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a great mystery. Not a mystery like Agatha Christie mysteries. Or like the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Those are puzzles that need to be put together. I love that. Isn't it so delightful when Sherlock Holmes points out the obvious? Oh, but the fellow was left-handed. Don't forget that, Watson. Oh, of course he was left-handed. How could I miss that important piece? That's not the sort of mystery that God is. The sort of mystery of God is incomprehensible for finite minds. That we really cannot grasp hold of God. With our intellect. And it causes us discomfort. It causes us intellectual discomfort. And we don't like that. We don't, we don't like discomfort in any form. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, none of it at all is good for us. But intellectual discomfort, some of the most uh, difficult to live with. And so we simplify. We try to simplify things. But every time we do, we make things worse and we lead up in error. St. Augustine says this, St. Augustine of Hippo, if you can comprehend God, it is not God. Oh, I love that, don't you? If you can comprehend God, it is not God. He doesn't even say he is not God. It, it, this is an inanimate object. If you can comprehend God, it is not God. And so the doctrine of the Holy Trinity helps us. It helps us to understand a little bit about who God is without trying to reduce God to a concept of a person. It helps us to adore God without trying to manipulate God. It helps us to see what God has done as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And it helps us to name God. In the psalm, we have the psalmist who looks at God as creator. Um, the, the psalmist... 
it just sort of gushes with all the things that God has done. Uh, how majestic it, on the, um, you have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babies and infants. You have established strength. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is humanity that you are mindful of them? Oh, my word. You know, this is this is what happened. I have some friends who are out in Montana and they're taking pictures and, you know, putting them on Instagram and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. And it's amazing. I took some pictures of Brandywine Falls the other day, um, rode up to Brandywine Falls on the bicycle and got out. I'd never seen it pouring with so much water. Unbelievable right now. I took these photos and put them out and, and people, you know, see it and like, oh, my goodness, where is that? Well, that's in Cleveland. Um, you know, this is it's, it's beautiful. When you look at the wonder of creation, we're struck with awe. But it's sort of like looking at a masterpiece. Not the artist. We see the work that the artist has created, but it's not the same as the artist. This is the, this is the God of creation. But if we reduce God to just being the creator, then all of a sudden God is separate from creation. Not a part of it, no place in it. And in fact, I think this is why Genesis 2 um, is written as sort of a, a reminder that Genesis 1 doesn't say everything about the Creator God. You remember Genesis 1, and God said, and there was, and God said, and there was, and God is stepping back and speaking. And what is Genesis 2? And the Lord God reaches down and He scoops up the earth. You know, it's like making Play-Doh snakes when you were a kid, right? That God's hands are, are involved in, in the creative process. But even this is only... You know, an anthropomorphism. It's only a, a sort of an analogy that God is like. Still, looking at God as only creator separates God from the creation, which is why the incarnation is so important to Christians. It's why Christmas stands out to us. That in Christmas, God comes in human form. That God sheds his glory and becomes human to understand and to comprehend what it's like for us. To live in this world. That God enters into time-space reality. That God is not distant from it, but understands what it's like. I thought about that God understands what it's like to have a pebble in your shoe. You know how annoying that is, right? And you just got to get it out of there. And God understands what it's like to lose a parent. Understands that pain. You know that, that Mary is present at the cross and Joseph is not there. You know why Joseph is not there. Jesus understands what it's like to lose a parent. And I thought I understood that until I went through it. And there's nothing like it. There's no pain like that. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer the loss of friends. Christmas says that God gives up His glory to step in and understand our suffering and pain. And that's how He buys us back. That's how He redeems us. But if we understand God only is in Jesus, we have to, God has to give up His glory, right? Jesus was in Jerusalem and not in Galilee at the same time, and vice versa. He gave up His right to be omnipresent, to enter time and space. And so we need God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who comes alongside. 
The presence of God in us. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will give you a helper, an advocate, who is with you, para, but will be in you. The Holy Spirit understands and enters into our world, helps us to pray, and even prays for us. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us, that purifies us from the evil that's inside that we come into this world with. Frees us from selfishness and pride and from greed and violence, from hatred and jealousy. It's the Holy Spirit that inspires us. In the collect at the beginning of our our worship, we say that we make this prayer every Sunday. um, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Come, by the Holy Spirit, inspire us. That we may perfectly love you. Inspirited. This is the hope that we would be inspirited by God himself. And so the doctrine of the Holy Spirit helps us to understand more fully what God has done, is doing, and will do. It helps us to understand the vastness of God without reducing God to concepts that we can manage. And it brings glory to God. The psalmist says... What is humanity that you are mindful of them? You made them just a little lower than the angels. But if you read this in Hebrew, you made them a little lower than Elohim. You made humans just a little lower than God. Humans were made like that. And you adorned them with kabod, weight and glory. Humans have all this weight and glory, this, this value. You, I wrote this down, are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. He has set you at the highest point of the food chain. He has made you like none other, given you intellect and reason and passion and all those things. And he's given you this mystery, that one God exists who is co-eternal and consubstantial in persons, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.